that's a little intimidating. I didn't realize this was the last one. That's a lot of pressure on me. Um, so I, I need to start off with this. I, I was reading through Acts 9, and I don't read emails very thoroughly because I was real excited about tonight because I thought it was Acts 10. Because um, I'm way more excited about Acts 10 than I am Acts 9. Because I know some stuff in Acts 9 that as I was reading through it, I'm like, I have no idea how that happens. Um, so I listened to Greg last week, um, Mr. Tonkinson, kind of walk through Acts 8. Um, there's some stuff in Acts 9. We're just, let me write up front. I have no idea what happens there. I don't know how it happens. I can't explain why it happened. All I know is it did. Um, so when we get to that, I'm just going to be really straight and really honest with you, um, and we're just going to accept the fact that, man, that's going to be a great question to ask somebody smarter than Tim or Jesus, um, which neither one of those are really hard to find. Um, so when we get to that, you, everybody will know. Um, Acts 8 was great, and, and Greg, as he walked you guys through this, um, the question that he kept asking that I thought was, was so powerful was this whole um, the opposition that the people in Acts 8 faced versus kind of how we deal with opposition. And, and as he was walking through like the life of Stephen and right there at the end of Acts 8 with, with kind of that Stephen getting stoned, um, and, and that, not that type of stone, but as he was getting put to death with rocks, um, there was that weird, like, man, how, how do you do that? And then he, put, he gets put to death and it seems like the whole world just gets turned on its ear. And as, as Greg was kind of talking through that, um, it, it got me thinking a little bit. I, I'm kind of an old school, like an old soul, I guess. I, I come from a, a very old school background. Um, and I remember going to church and the, the pastor would come up, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but the guy would come up and he would say, God is good all the time, all the time. Remember that? You, and if you don't know what that is, um, you just didn't ever go to a small country church because um, that's what we did. You would walk up and the guy would, on stage would say, hey, God is good. And the congregation would come back all the time and all the time, God is good. So before we dive into this, let me, let me start with that question for you. Um, is God good? And, and let that sink for just a second. Um, is God good? Because you, you can have a quick response to that and just, man, definitely, we're in church, God's got to be good. He's like 95% of all the answers that happen inside this building is Jesus, so God has to be good. Is God good? Um, what about when divorce hits, is God still good? Or what about when sickness hits, is God still good? Or downsizing and now you're laid off, is God still good? Or car wreck. Is God still good? Because if, if we're going to do this, and if we're going to walk through Acts 9, because there's some stuff in this that's just that's out there, and it's going to challenge us, we've got to come to the realization and the conclusion of this, that yes, God is good, and circumstances don't change that. God has to be good no matter what's going on. Because as, as we dive through this, this is my belief. I, I believe that this book is 100% truth, and this book has power to change us if we apply what we read in this book. So just kind of keep, let that resonate and just kind of marinate in that a little bit as we go through Acts 9. Um, there's a lot going on in Acts 9. So to prepare for this, I watched a lot of um, auction kings, stuff like that. Just I thought, man, I'm going to have to get my, like, my auctioneer voice in because we've got some moving to do through this. So if you get like you're a little lightheaded, feel free to stand up, kind of take deep breaths, um, and, and don't pass out because that will freak me out. Um, Acts 9, let's start, start in verse 1. Um, we're going to read through the first part of this and, and just kind of see, see where this takes us. Acts 9 verse 1 says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, 
he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. Now, I don't know about you, but this is not my conversion story. Um, This is not how I came to Jesus. Um, This is pretty unique. And I don't know if any of you have a story like this, where you're driving, and all of a sudden, like, Christian music comes on. It goes from Iron Maiden to Carmen and your dome light just flashes in your eye or something, and, and you hear the voice through the radio, and it's God speaking to you. I don't know if that's your, how you came to Jesus. Um, but this is, this is Saul's moment. Um, th- this, this chapter, honestly, this is one of the things that helps me with the Bible and, and helps me with Jesus being real. Because this is one of the stories that we're looking probably 30-something years after Jesus' death. And it, we're about to read through some things about a man that would have been real easy to put to rest as not being truth. And we're looking at a guy, remember who Saul was. He, he's going to Jerusalem to kill Christians. He, he's going there. He just went to the high priest and he just said, hey, there's a group of people called the way, which that was followers of Christ. That was basically the church. He's going to, to grab these people who are in this, this group called the way, people who would vocally say, hey, we believe that Jesus is God's son. He died. He, he rose again. People are saying that out loud. He's got permission now to go in, to kick in doors and to grab you for believing that and take you um, into jail, to put you to death, to do basically whatever he wants with you. He has search warrants. He has papers from, from, the, from the high places that says he can go in and do basically whatever he wants. He's on that road. Remember from, from eight, what just happened before this trip? Stephen just was put to death for proclaiming these things. So you've got this guy who is incredibly smart, possibly the, one of the, the sharpest minds this world has ever seen, trained by one of the best, by far one of the best teachers this world has ever seen. He's, his mind is incredible, he's been trained, he, he knows more about this, what, man, what they had for Bible, he knows more about the Old Testament than possibly anybody else wandering the planet at this time. He's now armed to go into your house, and and he's known, he's built a reputation for killing people who say that they love Jesus. So let me ask you this real quick, and some of this, I'm going to ask you some questions, and this is more, I know sometimes we we conversate back and forth, this this is going to be a little bit of inflect, um, just kind of to get you thinking a little bit. Um, What was your your life like pre-Jesus? What, what, was, what was your world, man, b- before that moment that Jesus shined the light and you heard the voice and all your friends were like, what was that? I don't know, but I'm blind. Before that moment, what was your world like? For Paul, it was murder. It was extortion. Um, it was, man, anything he could think of to do to, to scare you. He's now riding his camel to, to do more of this. He has this happen to him. And at the end of verse 9, it says, man, he's, he's blind. They, they drive him into Damascus, and he can't eat. He can't see. Um, he, he's just, he's stuck. So let, think for just a second. You before Jesus, what was your life like? 
Some of you, it's easy because it's, it's simple. It was just, you know, it's not that long ago. Some of you, you were born in church, so it's, it was easy. My life before Jesus was a lot like it is now. Um, maybe a little less religion and a little more, I don't know, maybe. But some of us, man, we've got a history that's so sketchy. There's, there's things in our past that we walk into places like this and we're like, I hope nobody recognizes me. I hope I don't see anybody from that life. <laughs> man, I, I hope I don't walk in and, and see somebody that, that knows what I used to be. Paul, or well, Saul, he, he's, he's got a past. He's got something that he brings with him so we can all resonate with that. So th- this is Paul's story. He, he's ro- rolling in. Um, put yourself right now in, in this guy named Ananias' shoes for just a minute. Look in verse 10. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Can, can't you just see that? Like you're Ananias and you've waited your whole life for this moment. Like you're praying, God, give me a vision. I want to hear from God. I want God's voice to come in my house and be like, Tim. And I'll be like, yes, Lord. And then something cool is going to come after that. You will plant a church and millions will come to Jesus. Yes, Lord. Tim, you will have a golden voice like Johnny Cash. And you will sing and people will swoon and they will fall on their face before me. Yes, Lord. That's Ananias. He's like, man, I'm, I'm serving you, God. Everything is solid. He has that dream, that vision. God comes to him and he's like, Ananias, yes, Lord. Can't you just like feel that anticipation of, Oh, finally, I just got called up to the big leagues. (laughs) Minor leagues my whole life, here I come, man. It's varsity, finally. Verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Can't you just see that like, oh, wait a second, God, hold up. (laughs) Maybe this is a dream. Maybe I had like too much hummus before I went to bed and something, something's not right. Because Saul was, was pretty popular. I don't know if you feel this way, but I, I feel like a lot of my past is pretty popular. Like there's lots of people that see me now and they don't know what I was or some people do and they, that's like, I don't know, it's like all that's on television is my, my history. And Ananias is sitting, he's like, whoa, hold up God, um, Saul? Look at what he does, verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Can't you see Ananias? I don't know if you do this, um, but this is a scary place to be, is where you try to negotiate with God. You're praying, hey, God, do something, man. Show up and do something in my life. And God's like, Ananias, there's this guy named Saul. And you're like, whoa, hold up. God, do something different in my life. God, show up and do something different. And he's like, yeah, you're going to go and talk to him. He's like, no, this is, he kills people, Jesus. This is a guy who, he, he beats people up and throws them in jail. Let me try this again. God, do something powerful in my life. And we do that, right? We're like, God, use me. Do something. God, show up in my life. And then something comes in front of us, and it may not be what we're thinking. So we try to figure out new approaches. Whoa, God, hold up. <laughs> I know I told you I wanted to be better at sharing my faith, but why are there like people knocking on my door wanting to talk to me about a different God? Hold up. That's not what I meant. You realize that those are great opportunities for us to share Jesus. They're coming to your house and asking you questions about God. It's an awesome opportunity to talk about Jesus. 
Maybe, but it's not the angle that we're thinking. God, man, I prayed for patience. Why did you give me this boss that's such a jerk? God, I prayed for you to make me better in my prayer life. God, help me be a better prayer. Why is all this happening to me right now? We get answers, but sometimes they're not the answers that we want, and it makes it really difficult to to listen and to hear what God has to say. So the first thing I want us to see in this is really simple. Um, And and don't worry, I'm not going to ask you, like, hey, what did you ever pray for? And then you were like, okay, God, let's try again. We're not going to do that because that would be weird. And this is the last mind, so we got to go out kind of on a high note. Ananias, look at what he does. God, God basically tells him, hey, go, and you don't understand, Ananias, this guy is going to do some crazy things. This is my instrument that he, he's going to do some, some stuff. Look at verse 17. It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. He doesn't go back to bed. He doesn't go and pray some more. He doesn't, like, open his Old, his old Testament up and reread through the Pentateuch and, and start back in Genesis and, like, well, maybe, you know, maybe God misunderstood he immediately does what God told him. Then Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, for, um, after taking some food he regained his strength. It's easy for us as, as believers to expect people who don't know Jesus to have the same eyes that we have. And, and we, we've got to remember something. As God's church, as God's spokespeople out in the world, as we represent Jesus to a lot of people, as they're, they're really the fifth gospel. I don't know if you've heard this before, but there's five gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. There's, there's five different books of Jesus that people are reading. As we represent Jesus out into the world, We've got to remember that they do not have the eyes that we have yet. And, and I love this, this vision, kind of the imagery that, that Luke is talking about right here, that it's like Paul had, or Saul had scales over his eyes. He, he couldn't physically see. And it wasn't until he had this moment with Jesus that those scales fell off. And he's a totally different person. Let me go back to the question I asked you. And again, this is kind of for you to, to just kind of to sit in for just a second. How are you different now from before Jesus? How are you different this side of Jesus from when you were on this side of Jesus? I don't know about you, but when I gave my life to Jesus, I was young, and I've told that story a hundred times, so I won't walk all the way through it, but I remember some of the things that I used to think before I really understood a little bit of Jesus, it was like scales fell off my eyes, and I was like, Oh, really? How did I not see that? How, how are you this side of the cross? And how has it changed since this side of the cross? Can I throw this in there real quick? And I know this is going to be a little bit painful, but you don't go to the doctor to get good news. If there's not a change on this side of the cross, you're missing something. We have to be different when we meet Jesus, because I, I honestly believe you cannot meet Jesus and still be the same. You cannot have a true, a real encounter with God and walk out of that the exact same person. And I'm not saying you're going to hear his audible voice and you're going to fall down and be blind and then I, you know, things are going to fall off your eyes. I'm not saying that. But there's a difference after you meet Jesus. When we open this book, because again, I believe this book is power, <laughs> and as we read this book, 
we have to be different because of what we read here. So my, my first challenge for us is this, and this is a great season to do it because you're going to try to get a really nice Christmas gift from me and somebody's going to grab the last one and you're going to be like, wait, that's for Pastor Tim. And you're going to try to get it and, and take it from them and they're going to take it from you and you could possibly get in a fight and you need to remember that you, you are different now because of Jesus. How are you acting this side of the cross? For Saul, he immediately gets up after he can see, he has this moment with Jesus, verse 19, it says he immediately takes some food and he begins to regain his strength. Now, now put yourself, I, I've, been, I've been doing this lately as I've been reading God's word. I'm trying to put myself in different perspectives of different people around. So I'm, I'm like, I'm still thinking Ananias. Don't you think he feels a lot better about blind Saul than he does sighted Saul? It's a whole lot easier to beat up blind Saul than it is to beat up Saul who can now see. Imagine Ananias for just a second, because he's sitting there, and this is a cool moment, because he walks up to, to Paul or to Saul, places his hands on him, prays over him, and now this guy who was blind, who can't see a thing, is now like, oh yeah, this is awesome, how you doing, I'm Saul. He, he can see again. I can't help but think Ananias is just a little, whoa, hold up, kind of got his hand on his sword. <laughs> Try something, let's see it, pull out that paper where you're going to arrest me, let's see where this goes. And I can't help but think that Paul, or Saul, on the other side of this is a little apprehensive because he's been the bully his whole life and now he's in the, the pit. <laughs> he's surrounded by people who are worshiping this guy that he's been persecuting. So I can't help but think that he's a little bit timid. You know what it feels like where you feel like you're the only person surrounded by people who would think the opposite? You feel like, man, I'm the only person that loves Jesus in this work? I'm surrounded by thousands of employees all of them go out and party, have sex, do all these things that, that totally speak against God's word. I'm the only one that stands up for who Jesus is. How do I, how do, you know how, how hard that is and, and the tension that that builds. I kind of feel that's where Paul is. He's sitting in that of just, oh man, sweaty. What do I do? Thanks. And Ananias is in the same sweaty, except he's like, I'm gonna beat you up type sweaty. Like, do something, try it. They're, they're in that. So how do we, and this is, I'd love to hear some feedback from you. How do we help people who don't have the scales lifted off their eyes yet, who still see the world through the wrong perception? How do we help them see who we are? How, how do you help the people on your block see differently? What are some things that we can do this Christmas? What are some things that you can do in your workplace that, that help people remove the scales, that, that help people see that you're different this side of the cross than you used to be on this side? What, what are some things you can do? Give, give me something. And this, is, this isn't for you to think about. This is for you to help us. So what are some things that you can do to help us see that other side? We still talk in this, right? Okay. I'm going to take that as a yes. Yeah. Oh, y'all have vests now. Dude, that looks good. Not in a weird way. I just mean, didn't mean it. Yes, ma'am. So I guess, that was um, so I guess the best thing you could do is just show God's love by loving people. <laughs> you know, that's the, probably the easiest way I could think of to do, yep. show people that God is good. It's the hardest, too, I think, to love people. Even but, when you don't want to, yep. but it's 
it's a lot easier during the holidays, to be honest. Yeah. You know, you, you automatically love more. I, had I would a think. I agree with you 100%. I had a friend do the pay it forward thing and almost got in a fight because of it. Because the car behind him was so upset, or the person behind him was so upset that he did it. I was like, how do you? Because he was trying to show love. So you show love to people who don't deserve love, right? Because it's easy to love the lovable. Paul, or Saul in this moment, he's not very lovable. And that, but that's, you're exactly right though, because all that Ananias does is show him Jesus and love. What else? By uh, words and actions, and um, mm. I may not participate in the drinking, but there's other ways. There's water. There's all kinds of things. But to love them, uh, have fun with them. Uh, we don't have to criticize them, but just be our Christian self and the one that God shows us how to be. He's given us a life that is so incredible, and other people will see that. And that's, I just feel comfortable just being me through the Lord. That's, that's it. Y'all are on this. Why am I up here? Y'all have this. This is what we do. We, we show people love. We don't judge them, right? Because that's what they expect from us. They expect us to go in and say, hey, you know what? This is all the things you're doing that's wrong. Talk to people who don't go to church. That's one of the reasons they don't come to church because people have gone in and just said, hey, you know what, these are all the things you're doing wrong. And not that we, we need to accept that what they're doing is wrong as being right, but we've got to show them love and we've got to accept and still be who God's built us to be around them. What, what else? Sharing our testimony. Oh my goodness. That's huge. You understand that there, there's people out there that that don't believe that this is real. They think it's just a book that somebody made up to try to control or manipulate minds um, or to raise revenue, which they've obviously never seen a minister's salary, but they think that this book was built to, to fatten somebody's pocket. They can argue this all day long, but they cannot argue your testimony. They cannot argue what God has done in your life because it's firsthand experience. But what we're about to start next is Paul's testimony. And it's, it's one of the things that brought validity to this book that helped me like grab hold of what my faith was. Look at what's next in this. And, and thank you, that all of those things are good. Think through some ways that we can do that. And let me challenge you with this before we read this next part of Paul's life. Try to stay away from all the Christian-y words this season. I, I would bet that we have a lot of family members that we're gonna hang out with over the next several weeks that don't know Jesus. Try to stay away from all the Christian-y sounding words. Wow, you need to repent. They have no idea what that means. Tell them your story. <laughs> you know what, I used to do that too, and I met Jesus, and now it's, uh, I've stopped. Uh, I'm doing this. I, I have a nephew right now that's struggling hard. Um, he's 27, I think, do, doesn't know Jesus. Um, he's, he's at the end of his rope. And I, I had a beautiful chance last night just talking to him about, hey, I would be at the end of my rope if I didn't have Jesus. I would be done. He's the only thing that's giving me hope right now in my life. And it was this beautiful just sharing my story, being real with who I am and showing him unconditional love that, that's getting him asking questions. And man, I pray to God that something comes from that. But you, you have opportunities this season to speak into family members' life and for them to, to see Jesus in you, not just hear him. And remember, there's, there's five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. Look at the next part of this, verse 20. 
Actually, the end of verse 19 says, Saul spent several days with the disciples there in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's nuts. At once. So you have, you have Saul who goes from, you believe in Jesus? Sweet, let's fight. To now, he's like, you believe in Jesus? Awesome. Let me tell you who he is. And he's preaching in synagogues now, telling people who God is. He didn't go through a crash course seminary. He didn't, like have somebody come in and, and teach him. He hung out with disciples and, and he talked to them about things and immediately he's out preaching in the synagogues. The places that he used to go and I guarantee you he's well known in these synagogues. People knew who Paul was, who Saul was. People knew who this man was. When they walked in the synagogue, I, I guarantee you, when Saul first walked in the synagogue on this very first day where he's preaching who Jesus is now, when he walked in, I guarantee you there were people in there that knew him, that knew his past, that was like, this is gonna be good, dude. Those guys believe in Jesus, watch this. And they sat back to watch the show of Paul come in and wreck shop on people. And I can't help, again, perception, I can't help but think what they thought when they start hearing him talk about Jesus being God's son and totally 180 from who he used to be. Why do we, and, and again, this, this is more of a, a reflection question, why do we talk ourselves out of telling our friends about Jesus? I mean, we come up with some great excuses. What if they ask a question I don't have an answer to? Um, I don't know enough yet. My, you know, I'm still young in my faith. Um, it's just not the right time. I'm waiting for that right moment. Um, there's all sorts of excuses that we, come up, we can come up with, and we can come up with excuses or we can make a difference, but my, my, my thought on this is, why, why don't we tell people about Jesus? Why do we wait? And I don't mean like weird, like you're at you know, Chick-fil-A and you're like, hey, I'd love some fries. Really? Let me tell you how Jesus is much like those fries. Not like that. But why not take, take advantage of opportunities when God puts people before us to just share our story? Be who we are in unconditional love and just tell them who Jesus is. Saul went. One of the first things he does once he gets his strength back, he goes to the temple, into the synagogue, and he begins to preach that Jesus is the son of God. And look, not even that, but even look what's next in verse 21. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? You realize when we, and again, this is huge, when we step on this side of the cross, people notice that we're different. And they're going to talk about you. They're going to ask, hey, isn't this the guy that used to party? What is he doing now? Isn't this the girl that used to do all this? What is she doing? Isn't this the, the family that used to do this? Isn't this the guy that used to do this? Isn't this? And they're going to bring up your past, and you have to be okay with this. And this is one of the hardest things for me personally, is there's a reason is your, that your past is behind you. And there's a reason that your future is in front of you. And if we stay focused on our past, you need to understand that God's forgiven our past. We probably should too. And if you're struggling tonight telling people who Jesus is because of all of this that's behind you, you're never going to be effective with all that God's going to put in front of you. Paul could have walked into the synagogue and just sat down and been really quiet and just, man, not knowing what to do. And people probably would have expected that or accepted it anyway. And with his past, man, that would have been really easy. 
So again, let me rewind just a second. How are you different this side of the cross? Do people notice that there's a difference in you now than before Jesus? Now that you know Jesus, do people notice that there's a difference? And I love this because I, I'm one of my, I, I love hanging out with people who are really raw in their faith. Um, and, and I love when I'm, I'm in those conversations and they cuss uh, and they, then they're like, oh, hey, I'm sorry because they know that I'm different now. And it's funny to talk to them and they're like, yeah, and then and they just start beep, 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 beep. Oh, sorry. I love doing weddings now. Um, and I, I did one not too long ago where they, they had, the, the groom walked out with a beer and he set it behind a plant to hide it from me um, because he knows that I'm different now than what I used to be. He knows that I'm different. How, how are we different this side of the cross? And do people see it? Because I don't know if you notice this in Paul, Everybody notices it. The disciples who love Jesus notice it. The people who the followers of the way notice it. The people who believe as Paul, that his friends, his kind of group of people notice it. They notice there's something different. They can't put their finger on it. Um, this is one of the cool opportunities for you to share your story. When you're living this out in unconditional love and you're, you're being who God's built you to be and you're walking through those, and like Greg spoke about last week, opposition hits you, how you handle that is huge. And, and let, me, let me throw this in, and, I don't dis, and please hear me on this. I don't discredit what God does on the stage by any stretch of the mind. I, no way, shape, or form do I discredit the, the people that God places up here and, and Pastor Lynn um, and Scott and, and people who come up and deliver a message on this stage but I firmly believe that how we act in opposition is more powerful than any message preached. How we as Christians act when opposition hits us is more powerful than anything that they'll hear from a stage. It's gonna have more of an impact than anything that I'll ever say. And when we act this side of the cross like we've really met Jesus and we start to get identity now in who he is, there's gonna be opposition. There's gonna be friends who bring up your past. You used to do this, what now, hypocrite? <laughs> yep, that's me. I like to call myself, I'm a hypocrite in transition. Um, I'm a hypocrite, I just try not to be anymore, but unfortunately I still am. They're gonna bring it up, so you've gotta be ready for it. So as believers, so as, as a family, as we walk into the world and show them unconditional love, be who God's built us, we start sharing our stories, we've gotta be ready for opposition. Look at what happens with Paul. Verse 22 says, yet, yet Saul, and I keep calling him Paul. I just ruined this. If you haven't read Acts, it's coming. So now it's, sorry. Um, As Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. I love that verse. He becomes more and more powerful as he's speaking. He gets more and more confident. And, and honestly, I don't think he becomes more confident in who he is. I think he becomes more free because of who he was. I think that the past of him, he slowly gets more and more power because he's slowly freed from who he was because he's understanding who he is. And he gets more powerful as a speaker and more powerful as a speaker. And the Jewish culture that he used to sit in and make fun of Christians with, they're now baffled by him. Now, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this. The more you try to disprove Scripture, the more it proves true, at least in, in my experience. The more I look at this and I try to compare it to things going on in the world, the more I see that this is truth. 
<laughs> the more I, I look at things like this, the more I see the reality of what I read in here is, is real, that it's right. The more I see of, of things that Jesus taught about different just different ideas and different principles. If you really follow those principles, even though the world says this, if you really follow this, your life is better. It may not be easier. It may be stressful, but it's still better. There's, there's a peace in this side of following God's plan that isn't in following what the world says is good. These guys are looking at, at Saul and he's growing more and more power, powerful, and he's baffling the friends that used to gather together, that, that he used to hang out and he used to talk with, and these people who used to live in, um, that are living now in Damascus, and he's proving that Jesus is the Christ. He's using, and, and listen to this, because this is huge, because some of you guys are way smart. He's using the talents, and I don't know who said that back there, but man, you read ahead. He's using who God's built him to be to now point people to who Jesus is. And you have the skill sets to do that. We all do, and you all do it in unique and different ways. We all have abilities in different ways that God has geared us together. Greg, who spoke last week, is one of the best Bible teachers that I've ever met. He, he's incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, and he, he teaches that at, at a Valley Christian here in town, or in Tempe. He teaches Bible there. He, he, he does this. He uses the gifts and the talents that God has given him, and he does a, such a great job of articulating God's word into our ears. He's good at it. Lynn is a great storyteller. He does such a good job of telling the story of Jesus in a way that people can hear and understand it. Some of you are, I won't say his name because he'd get mad at me, but there's, there's a guy in the room tonight that's an incredible plumber, and he saw a picture that I posted once a while back where my sink broke, and so I had vice grips on it because I'm kind of redneck, so I didn't want to fix it, and I, honestly, because I didn't know how, so I put vice grips on it, and that's how I was turning my water off and on, um, and the dude saw it, and he's like, yeah, we can't have that. Um, so he came over to my house and used the talents that God gave him to show me Jesus in his life by helping me, teaching me how to put a sink in. He used the talents that God's given him to point people towards Jesus. Some of you work in retail. You've been given the ability to talk to people and not be embarrassed, to know how to walk into a conversation. Use those talents to point people towards Jesus. Some of you are incredible cooks. Man, it's Christmas. You should be baking like crazy and taking the beautiful goodness of food and taking it to your neighbors and showing them Jesus. Some of you are mechanics. I love that we have a group of men that get together and for single moms they change oil and they check out the mom's cars and they work on them and they use the, those skills that God's given them to point people towards Jesus. How have you been built? This side of the cross, it's different now that you could use to point back to who Jesus is. Be ready though, because look at this. Verse 23, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. <laughs> but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch over the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, verse 26, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he, was that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoke to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And look at verse 28. So Saul stayed with them 
and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly, boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. When the church, then the church throughout Judah, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And look, look at this last sentence. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. One of the craziest parts of chapter nine. Paul's teaching in the synagogues, the people that used to know him don't like it. They're ticked off about new Saul. They want old Saul back. I don't know if you have friends that want old you back because they like old party you or just old you better than new Jesus you. It's because when they see you, they see something different because this side of Jesus, you're different. Saul goes around and talks and, and it's, they conspire to kill him. I don't know if you noticed this, but Saul made some new friends. In, in verse 25 it says, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. It says a little bit later um, in here that even the disciples, the people who loved Jesus, they were still deathly afraid of Saul. And again, man, put yourself in their shoes for a minute. This guy kills people for a living, legally. And now he's in your camp. That this is, this is taking the worst of the worst and now them coming into your family, into your, your house and you, you're trying to protect your kids. And you now have Texas Chainsaw Massacre like in your kitchen, but he's different. This side of the cross, we're gonna have a different group of people that we hang out with. We just are, because this side of the cross, our likes and the things that we want to do, our desires become different because we become different, right? But that can't keep us from talking to people who are on this side of the cross. We still have to go. And I don't know if you noticed this, but Paul went to where they were. He didn't sit at home and expect them to come to him. He didn't open up like an internet website that said, I once was blind, but now I see ministries.com. He didn't stand on a street corner and hand out flyers and say, hey, you should come and see me. My name's Saul. I used to be blind. I used to kill you, but now I won't. So come check it out. I have a great story for you. He went to the synagogues where he knew that there were people struggling with the exact same things that he was struggling with. I think too many times as believers, we expect people to come to us. And I think the call, the great commission is for us as we go through our life to go and to tell. And we miss that sometimes. And we miss opportunities to share our story and to, to share our testimony or to show love because maybe they're not easy to love. You, you need to hear this. You live fully who Jesus is on this side of the cross and you, you're still getting it. And, and get me on this, I don't understand what this means. This is one of the things that I'm reading that I don't fully get. I, I'm still grasping what it means to live on this side of the cross. I battle it daily. All I know is when I do this well, I get opposition. <laughs> that's, that's one of the ways that I know I'm doing it right. <laughs> when, when, when the world is like on me, that's usually a good sign that I'm doing something that that's, I'm doing it right. 
you live on this side, there's going to be opposition. One of the one of the cool things that goes through this that happens is if, if we do this, and this is why I love the mind and I love the fact that we get together and do this, is the end of um, verse 31. We do this. We learn how to love people who sin differently than us. And let me say that again because that's huge. It's easy to love people who sin the way that we sin. It's extremely difficult to love those who sin differently. When we learn to love people that sin differently than we do, we begin to, to do something crazy and God grows in our midst and we begin to grow and become more of a force and things change around you. I can't help but think, and again, this is a different perception, I can't help but think that the cities that these guys were a part of were the same when Saul got on the boat and left. They had to be different. If you have a large group of people coming together and, and this is saying it grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. You have people who are growing in numbers who are now fearless, who are going out and telling people who Jesus is, not caring what people say or think about him. I don't know a city that's been the same since. Things drastically change. We would be different as a family if we would have this kind of faith. Now, the, the end of this, that's really where we, we kind of leave Paul setting for a little while. We give him a little bit of a break. And the end of chapter 9, I don't understand. Just going to be straight right here. This is, this is the part of the book I was like, man, can I just skip that? And they're like, nope. Um, so I, I don't, we're going to read through it. I don't know how to tell you. I, I just know this. Um, and this is a question, again, not to answer, but just to, to kind of think through for a second. If it happens here, could it happen here? And let that sink for just a second. If what we read about here really happened, could it happen here? If we read about a, a guy named Saul, somebody that would never come to Jesus, give his life to Christ, drastically 180 repent and start chasing Jesus hardcore, if he could do that here, could it happen here? Could the worst possible person that you've ever thought of that would never set foot in a church really stop doing what they're doing and chase Jesus now. It happened here. Could it happen here? The next little section of this, starting in verse 32, what happens here, could it happen here? Look in verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight, eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, take care of your mat, and immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. I have no idea how that worked. I don't, I don't get this, because this isn't something that we see on a regular basis here in churches. Some of you guys read ahead and you're like, hey, I wonder how they're gonna talk through this. I got nothing. All I know is that this book is truth, and I know that it says that Peter walked into a room and he looked at a guy who had been crippled for eight years and said, hey, dude, get up, clean up your, your stuff, and, and let's go, and that he got up and moved, and several, several people saw him in an entire city turn to the Lord. I, I don't know what that looks like. All I, all I want to know, and again, I don't, I don't want an answer for this, I just want us to think on it. If it happened here, could it happen here? 
because I know what this book says. I know that the God of this book is the same God of here, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I know that the things that happen in this book weren't a one-time event, that this book should be taking place in our lives. So if it happens here, theoretically, it should be able to happen here. But there's something that's amiss because we don't see a whole lot of what we're about to read like this, like Aeneas getting up, cripples getting up and walking. We don't see a lot of that happening here. We just get to read about it here. I think part of the problem is the faith that we read about here is different here. Look, look at what's next. Verse 36. In Joppa, and this one's even worse, it's not worse, but it's even more nuts. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated as Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydia was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went, them, or Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees. This is the key, just so you know. This is the key to what's happening here, happening here. He sent them all out of the room. He got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and he helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Let, let me, this, this is weird. I don't know if this is weird to anybody else. You've you got a woman who's been dead for days. She's washed, she's prepared for the, they, they're preparing her for for death, I mean, for, for the grave. They're preparing to, to, to put her in a place to never see her again. They hear that Peter's close by and they call him. Do, do your friends do this to you when something really rough is going on? They, they call you. Um, not necessarily somebody's died and they're like, hey, Tim, come and raise him. That's nothing like that. But they're like, hey, I just lost my job. Would you come and talk to me? My friend's super sick, man. Would you come and talk? And they expect you to have the right words. It's one of the sketchiest things in the world. I'm so scared of those moments. I hate hospitals absolutely despise hospitals. I hate going in and have parents look at me expecting me to say something wonderful that's gonna really help them in that time while they're watching a child or a loved one that's, that's hurting. I have no idea what to say. Terrible at it. They realize that Peter's close. They call for him, he's come. And, and this, this, is, this is where I want us to end because it, I, I promise it, if we would take this one thought this one principle, and if we would take it from here and put it here, this place would be different. You would be different. Your lives would be different, your relationships would be different, your families would be different, your jobs would be different, your block would be different. If we would take just this one principle that we're, we're reading about here and apply it here, everything you know changes. It says he got down on his knees and he prayed. Peter got down on his knees and did the only thing that he knew to do, 
which was go to Jesus. Maybe you don't need to have the right answer this Christmas. And his family comes to you and they're like, hey, you go to church, I know you do. This is my atheist friend, Steve. And, and whatever that looks like, however that works. Maybe you don't have to have the right answer. Maybe we just need to follow this example and get on our knees and pray. I firmly believe that if we spent more time on our knees in prayer, we would be different this side of the cross. And too many of us don't understand the importance of this and we spend too much time on our feet looking for answers instead of our knees getting answers. Our pants should be wore out like we should have patches sewed on the knees. We have to go to God as a first response and not a last resort. Nothing else has worked, so I'll try Jesus. One of the things I was telling my nephew um, as I'm trying to help him through this is prayer. Hey, dude, I'm praying for you. Don't. I'm praying for you. Stop, it doesn't work. I'm praying for you. Because I, I believe with everything I am, in order for me to be different out there, I have to do what's in here. If we ever want to see what happens here, happen here, we have to do what they did here. Let, let me ask you this, um, and this isn't, I realize this is a little bit of a gut check. How much time do you spend praying for here? For people who walk in this room on a weekend? For family members that don't know Jesus? For coworkers that don't know Jesus? for neighbors that don't know Jesus. And I don't mean praying for bad things like praying for them to move. <laughs> um, I don't mean that. I mean praying for God to use you to be that fifth gospel, to use you to show unconditional love, to use you and the, the abilities and the giftings that he's made you to be Jesus in front of them, to use you with your story and telling them what God has done in your life. How much time do we spend on our knees before God? We've lost one of the greatest disciplines, I think, found in this book, and that's the discipline of prayer. And most of us, when we pray, we do this. We, we give a laundry list of God. Hey, God, I really need a raise because times are tough right now and the washing machine just broke, so God, if you could give me like a $500 Christmas bonus, that would be awesome because that's what I need. Oh, and my car stinks, so if there's any way you could get me a new car, God, that would be awesome. My wife's nagging me like crazy, so Jesus, if you could do something with that. My kids are the spawns of the devil, so God, please do something in their life. Uh, make my boss better. Jesus, if you would please do these things, man, my life would be so great. Amen. God, I, I really need, I need this, man. I really need a boat, Jesus. I live in the desert, but I need a boat. And if you could just show up and give me this boat, man, things would be so great. Amen. And we call that prayer. That is not prayer. That's a genie that doesn't exist. Prayer is this. When you get on your knees and you plead out before God to do something that you can't do. You beg him to show up because you can't. And when we become so broken that this can become our posture and we not care how we look, we don't care what people say about us because again, this posture brings opposition. 
Tim Tebow did it and everybody ridiculed him, made fun of him forever. You've got guys acting like an idiot and they get everything. You have a guy getting on his face and saying that he's giving praise to Jesus and everybody makes fun of him. When this becomes our posture, we become different on this side of the cross. I'm gonna ask you to do this as we close out tonight. I'm gonna ask you to join me in this posture. You don't have to, it's not, I'm not gonna judge you for it. Um, I just, I think it's weird up front, so just know that. I think it's uncomfortable. Um, and I think we are way too comfortable as believers and we need some discomfort in our life. And I'm just gonna ask you to do this. I'm gonna ask you to get in this posture before God and before, and you, again, you don't have to, before you say anything to Jesus, just to sit in this for just a minute and just thank you. Jesus, thank you. And to sit in that for just, just a minute of listening to God and not giving him a list, but just listening to him for just a minute. Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word of truth and for even in this, this chapter of Acts and 9, God, where we look at the life of Saul and possibly somebody that we would say would never, ever trust in you, the truth, God, that everybody is beautiful in your eyes and that everybody has a chance of knowing who you are. So God, would you help us with the people that we've counted as no chance or, or worthless or maybe people that we've, we've written off as they would never listen, they would never come to church. God, they would never do anything that I asked them. God, would you give us the courage to be Jesus in front of them? Jesus, to, to shine for you in front of them. God, as, as situations come and as opposition comes, God, would you speak so loudly through us that they have nothing else to do but to look and see you? And Jesus, this Christmas, would you help us as a family of believers, as brothers and sisters, as God, as children of the king of the universe, would you help us to exercise this muscle this season of sitting down on our face before you, God, getting uncomfortable before you, and not just giving you a list of desires, but God, just sitting in silence and listening. And God, I pray that the things that we read about in your book, we would begin to see in your church. And God, in all honesty, this has to start with me. So put me on my knees more and help me, God, to not be the hypocrite in transition in this. Jesus, thank you for loving us in spite of who we are. Bless, bless this Christmas, God, and shine for your, your glory. 
in the powerful, holy, never-changing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.